All right. I know it's the day after Christmas, so you're supposed to, I guess, do a Christmas-adjacent study, but we're not doing a Christmas-adjacent study, all right? We're going back to what we've been working on in Romans chapter 8, which we've been working on six words, correct? And And I said, ultimately, we should have added a seventh. But what are the six words we've worked on so far? Number one, foreknowledge. Number two, predestinate or predestination. Number three, called or calling. Number four, just justification. Number five, glorification. Number six, election. And number seven, reprobation. Okay, so let's do this just quickly because here's what's going to happen today. All right. I'm making a decision. It may be a really bad decision, maybe a really bad decision. But once we got into reprobation, I realized, man, this opens up so many complications and difficulties. So we're going to kind of we're going to go back and establish the basic idea of reprobation. We're going to deviate from reprobation and then cover all of these massive theological, philosophical issues that relate to it and then circle back around to reprobation and try to finish it off. I know that delays our journey through Romans 8, but it's either, are you, is the goal to get through a book or is the goal to make sure you understand all the important concepts related to a section? And this, all of these things we're going to be talking about this morning relate to, the, uh, to this section and it deals a lot with church history so, and a, uh, a lot of theology. So there's going to be a lot to do this morning. So let's start with this, all right? Reprobation. Let's just go with a basic understanding of reprobation, just quickly. Reprobation, if you have it written down, and I'm going to read from Grudem. When we understand election as God's sovereign choice of some persons to be saved, then there is necessarily another aspect of that choice, namely God's sovereign decision to pass over others and not to save them. This decision of God and eternity past is called what? Reprobation. So what is reprobation simply put? God's sovereign decision to pass over some for salvation. Now, the minute you hear that, let's all be honest. Is that a pleasant thought? No. Is it one that will make people happy? No, it's one that if you even mention from the pulpit in some churches, well, that's going, you put it this way, an election will occur and it's going to be an election to remove you from office. Is what's going to, you're no longer going to be pastor. You're going to get fired quickly, okay? Or people are going to leave the church because nobody wants to talk about this. But what, what was my argument about reprobation? Does anybody remember what my kind of my approach or my thesis, my hypothesis was to, to dealing with reprobation? Does anybody remember? I know it's been a couple of weeks. Yes, it has to. But remember, my my argument is reprobation is not the issue. Where does the issue begin? Genesis 1.1. Remember, what do I say? What's the most controversial verse in the entire Bible? Genesis 1.1. Why is it controversial? Because it says, in the beginning, God created. 
Now, immediately when we start talking about God creating, that raises a million difficult issues. So here's what I want you to do, and I'm going to try to build this, and hopefully this will work, all right? Take a, a blank piece of paper, right? Draw a line from the top, right in the middle of the page, from the top to the bottom. So you're going to divide the page into two parts, right? You're going to divide the page into two parts. On one side, put include God, On the other side, put exclude God. Now, traditionally, this would be done, typically in Bible college or seminary, what would they do? They would do here, they would put theism versus atheism, but I don't like that. All right? Because this is what it does. If you divide your paper theism versus atheism, people will immediately go, well, I'm not an atheist. I believe in God and not think a lot of this relates to them. Let me make it very clear. There are lots of Christians sitting in the pew that sometimes they're in the column of include God and sometimes they're in the column of exclude God. So let's discuss what does it look like. Now this will include atheism as well, so make sure we understand. Let's start with the exclude God side. All right, let's start here. This is very important stuff, okay? So, when you look at life and you exclude God from it, you don't include God in your view of life in any way, shape, or form. You're just excluded him, and you, you either exclude God in a very dogmatic way, like, I'm an atheist, there is no God, or you exclude God with what's common with a lot of the, the younger generation today is like, I just don't care if there is a God. So by saying you don't care, you've excluded him. All right, if you exclude God, what are some of the ramifications of excluding God from your, your view of life? What comes with excluding God when we start talking about life? What are some of the ramifications? You can throw out anything that you can think of, and I will either say wrong or right, okay? And it's okay that if you're wrong. Okay, one of the possible problems of excluding God. Now, we'll put it this way. Okay, well, we'll, let's just deal with it. We'll state it this way. If we exclude God from life, one of the issues arises is what is the source of morality? All right? Now, and the reason we have to state this very carefully, the reason we have to state this very carefully is because if you say, Hey, if you, don't have, if you don't believe in God or if you exclude God, you don't have a basis for morality. They will get very upset with you and say that's not logically accurate and you're lying. Right? So, here, so we have to state it in a very specific way. The problem becomes what is your basis for morality? Not that they don't have a source of morality, but what is the basis? If you talk to any young person, right, and you know that in their everyday life, they've excluded God. They don't care about God. They don't care about the things of God. That, that's, that's like, who cares? Listen to them talk. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Because at some point, you're going to hear them state things that establishes a moral, they're making a moral judgment, right? Well, that, what that person did was wrong. What that person did was wrong. Mom and dad, what you did was wrong. That's not fair. That's not right. I disagree with that. I disagree with that. And, you're, and what you have to look at them sometimes and go, so great, you clearly have a system of morality. What's the next question? 
Where did it come from? And remember, what are our options? What are our options for morality? Let's go through them again. I, we've, we've talked about this a million times, but this is so critical. What are your, where, where are your options for, moral, for morality to come from? Okay, the majority of people determine morality, right? Now, is that a great idea? <laughs> Sometimes, yes, but then I can always go back in history and go, there was a time the majority of people thought owning slaves was a good thing. So was it wrong or was it right? What if, what if the majority of people decided today, if they decided today that anyone of a different color skin has to be killed, would that be wrong or would it be right? And, some, and almost everyone would say, well, no, 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 it would be wrong. And then what would be the question? Why? Because if you say the majority can determine it, then the majority can determine anything to be wrong or right. Yes? All right? Because the minute you say, well, the majority could be wrong, then you're saying that there is some morality that can judge the majority. What is it? All right? So we know there's problems with the majority, but there's one possible. What's another possible place that morality can originate from? The minority. Now, again, nobody likes that, right? Nobody likes that. The KKK is in the minority today. So should their views be right? And everybody be like, absolutely not. Right? So, so you got the majority, you got the minority. What's the third? The individual. Okay. And we know how that works, right? I, I've given the illustration before. My, when, I, when I lived at home, my stepbrother walked around, you know, with, he was the anarchist, 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 anarchy, anarchy, anarchy. And he had the anarchist symbol. And so, one day I went in and took like some of his money and then he got mad. I'm like, I thought you believed in anarchy. Well, he didn't like anarchy anymore. He wanted a rule that I could not go in and take his money. Well, you're, you're, a, you're a big, bold anarchist. Let me tell you, you're, give me a, so stop saying that you're an anarchist. You are someone who wants law and you want it established and... You, you want law to protect you, but you don't want law to protect someone else. It's just ridiculous. So you got the majority, you got the minority, or you got the individual. If you, ha- if you say, if you exclude God, that's what you're left with. The problem is young people today won't have this conversation. The minute you bring up this conversation, they get very upset with you. And it makes no sense to me. <laughs> that's that, that's an interesting way to carry that. <laughs> so... <laughs> She's coming in with her hands full, <laughs> trying to carry the violin between her legs. Okay, that's, that's an interesting, okay. All right, so the, when you exclude God from life, if you exclude God from life, that's one of the issues, morality, all right? So if you include God in life, now we're going to go back and forth between these. If we go to, so for those who just walked in, we've divided, a, uh, we've taken a piece of paper and divided it into two parts. One part says include God, the other part says exclude God, all right? So if we exclude God from life, we have an issue of the source of morality. If we include God from life, what do we do with the issue of morality? He's the source. He's the source. Now, is is that a good thing? Well, it's a good thing because we have a source. What's the negative thing of having God as the source? We may not like it. And it may condemn us. 
All right? So, if you exclude God, you have no basis for morality. You have no... It, it raises the question of the source of morality, and we should say it that way. You have a basis, I guess. It's just not really consistent. And if you include God, you have, a, you have a source and you have a basis for morality. The only problem is it's going to condemn us. Let's make it very clear. God's morality condemns who? Everyone. If you exclude God... It, I, love how, I love how people exclude God because when they exclude God, they still have a basis of morality and they still condemn everyone, but they can have a morality that never condemns whom? Themselves. Oh, I so wish I had that source of morality. Oh, man, I wish I had that source of morality because then I would never be condemned. I could just condemn everyone else. All right. But this, this creates a problem. Now, we're just focused on morality. We've excluded or we included God, okay? Now, what's the problem with the Christian or the God-included view of morality? We've created one problem, is that it condemns us. But where's another major problem that comes from this view? Hypocrisy. Because what... This is one of the weird, one of the weird, weird parts of the Christian worldview is we believe that we include God in life, therefore there's a source of morality, but that morality condemns us, and we believe that we can never fully keep that morality. Yes, so that means from the not from the people who've excluded God, they're going to look at the other side, and what are they going to condemn us twenty four hours a day, seven days a week on? Hypocrisy. Well, yeah, I, well. The, the problem is, I can never not be a hypocrite because I will never keep God's morality perfectly. You see how that's kind of a weird philosophical system to be in? Here's the right morality, but I'm never going to keep it perfectly. Therefore, I'm always going to be guilty of it. Well, you're a hypocrite. Well, in your system, you just create your own morality, and then I guess you will never be a hypocrite. But they become inconsistent on that as well. All right? So there's, there's two issues. All right? What's another issue if on the exclude God from life? issue. If you exclude God from life, what's another problem? Or another issue. Now, it doesn't have to be considered a problem. We exclude God from life. What are some other issues that arise? You can throw anything out. Okay. They probably wouldn't see that as a problem. They would just say, they would just say, well, it's, it's, it's something other than God. Let, let's exclude God from life and let's, let's bring up a lot of issues this, okay? If you exclude God from life, then everything that occurs in life occurs ba- because of what? Chance? What's another possible? What would be, it would be chance. What would be another thing? If you exclude God, okay, are you ready for this? If you exclude God, human action becomes sovereign, to exclude God is to make your action or make, is to make the human being sovereign. Does, everybody, does that make sense to everyone? If there's no God, who's sovereign? The individual, right? And so then what happens in life, now this, this becomes very confusing, but just stay with me. So you decide what you do. Right? If there is no God, you decide what you do. Now, you may blame other people for coercing you or 
hurting you or creating problems that you make wrong decisions. But the problem, the issue is, it's just you making those determinations. Now, in life, right, you're making your decisions. Other people make their decisions. And sometimes their decisions hurt you. And sometimes your decisions hurt them. But it's all, it's, it's a life where there is no God. So everything that occurs, occurs because of individual sovereignty doing what they want. What else can become sovereign in a view without God, in a life without God? You have the sovereignty of the individual. What else can happen? The sovereignty of the government. Right? Government becomes sovereign, and they can make the decision. Yes? And so then you have the constant battle and a view without God of the sovereignty of the individual versus the sovereignty of the government and who rules and who has rights and who can take away rights and who can limit rights. And that's a never-ending battle, right, throughout all of human history. Has that not been an ongoing problem? Just I could go get you a history book and we could look at all of it, yes? Right? So you have this. So if you exclude God, you have a, you have a problem of the you have the problem of where does morality arise from? Where, where's the source of it? You have the the rise of the sovereignty of the individual or the sovereignty of human government. Now, if we go back and include God in life, what do we do? He's sovereign. He becomes sovereign, not us. Now, does this create a problem over in the include God side? Yeah, what, what becomes the problem as soon as you say God is sovereign? Okay. Well, well, the first major issue is, well, wait a minute. If God is sovereign, what about my, my will or my choices? So now this is what happens. A lot of people will include God... But then when they get into this discussion of God's sovereignty and my will, they sometimes will fluctuate between the include God to exclude God. Let me give you an example. All right? God is sovereign. You, so most everyone here, I think, will, will have the include God part of life, right? For the most part. There may be some who just don't care, but you have the, the include God for most part. Now, if you talk about something horrible that happens... Right? If you talk about something that horrible that happens, this is where Christians will go all, all over the place. Well, okay, wait a minute. That bad thing happened. Who caused it to happen? Some will then come over here and want to exclude God from it. So now they're over in the exclude God side. Others will want to include God, but if you include God, then you're like, well, wait a minute. Why would God do this and why would God do that? That's why I always say Genesis 1-1 is the most complicated verse in the Bible, right? Because I have an all-knowing, all-powerful God who creates a world knowing all of these horrible things are going to happen and he has the ability either to stop it from ever occurring or he has the ability to intervene at any point, but he doesn't. So therefore, you have to think that what he's doing has to somehow meet his sovereign plan. So if you include God and you would say he, he is sovereign versus man's sovereignty or and he is sovereign even over, just think about it. The minute you say he's sovereign over government. Yeah. So he's sovereign over government, but then what in the world was Hitler roaming around doing? You see where this becomes a problem? So then many people will, will run to which side of the paper? Exclude God. No, I believe God exists, but I'm excluding God from this particular situation. You see how th- this is a, a constant fluctuation. 
You either have God included or you exclude God. And this is not just an issue with the world. This is an issue with everyone sitting in this room because we constantly go back and forth. We go back and forth. We can even bring this up, all right? And this is going to deal with uh, reprobation big time because there's a... Grudem includes a verse that, man, it's going to melt our brains when we get down to it. Your sin. I mean, I don't sin, so I don't have... Our sin, right? I should have said our sin. Now, what do we do with that? What do you do typically? What do we do typically? How do we typically view our individual sin? But do we include or exclude God? Remember, everything's going to be, I'm going to relate everything to this. We exclude God. We exclude God. But wait a minute. When the people crucified Jesus, the Bible says that they did so because it was foreordained that he be crucified. However, God holds them responsible for doing what God ordained them to do. So did God ordain them to do it or did he not ordain them to do it? Did he simply know they were going to do it? And then, well, then if he knew he was going to do it before they existed, did they have any choice but not to? You see this, you see all the problems this raises? Okay. Trust me, we've got a lot of things in church history trying to answer all of these problems. I'm trying to show you the practical remo. I'm tr- because once I can pull out all of my notes here from theology and I can start going, okay, here's this group, here's this group. I don't even know how to pronounce their name. And I could go through all the groups, right? And you'd just be like, okay, this is like sitting in a, a classroom in college. And you're like, I don't care. This, is re- this has practical ramifications because everyone in this room, you make theological judgments on these concepts. You either say God is included or God is excluded. God is included or, well, okay, well, God is included, but, well, I can't blame him, so I'm going to exclude. And you go back and forth, back and forth. I don't think any of us ever stay perfectly in these sides of the paper, right? So, we, if we ex- so let's go back to the exclude God side. What have we done with the exclude God side? What's the first issue? S- source of morali- morality. Where, where does it arise from? Okay, next, it makes who sovereign? The individual or the government. Okay, now if we go to include God, we have now we do have a source of morality, right? Yes, but it creates problems because we're never going to keep it, which makes us then hypocrites. Correct. And then next, if we have God sovereign, that sounds great, right? He's sovereign. I'm not sovereign. Wonderful. He's sovereign over government. Amen. Everybody says amen to all of that. But then someone's going to raise their hand like, he's sovereign over government. Then why did Hitler exist? And then Christians will be like, well, I mean, uh, he's sovereign, but, but, but man has free will. Well, the minute you say that, what did you just make sovereign? You just made man's will sovereign over God, and which, where did you just go to? The exclude God side, right? What are some other issues that arise from exclude God? What's a, what's a big issue on the exclude God side? Very big issue. Very big issue. Now, and please, think, I know you may think, what does this have to do with reprobation? This has everything to do with reprobation because reprobation is about God's sovereignty and his involvement in people being saved or not saved, right? So I'm just make, making us look at this in a very practical way, right? What is a big issue 
on the exclude God side of your paper. A big issue. All right. Starts with a P. Someone wrote a book about this and made a whole lot of money. He, he, he added the P not only to life, he added it to the church. And his name is Rick Warren. Purpose. Purpose, okay? If you exclude God, what's the big question? What's the purpose in life? And what are some answers? If we exclude God, what are some possible answers for your purpose in life? Happiness. That's a, that's a, a good one. Happiness. Okay. So you do everything that pursues happiness. And if, if happiness is the ultimate goal, what, what does that mean in your relationship to other people? That other people are simply tools or an ends to a, or a means to an end. Right? So I look at other people like, okay, if I can get happiness from them, great. The minute I do no longer derive happiness from them, then I exclude them from my life. Right? That would that not be a, a, a that would be a very philosophically consistent position, right? Right? If happiness is the ultimate goal, I only see people in relation to what happiness they bring me or what happiness they keep from me. Okay? Alright. What what do we do? Another purpose in life? Would be another possible purpose in life if we exclude God. Okay, you could. You, all right. Well, it's usually connected to happiness. Materialism is a means to happiness. Okay. Would be another possible purpose. Some will argue, even many atheists will argue. Well, my purpose here is to make the world better. I don't really understand that purpose. Why do I care about making the world better? Right? Because now this becomes like, do I have a moral obligation to make it better if I exclude God? If you say there's a moral obligation, where does the moral obligation come from? You're just imposing the moral obligation upon yourself. And then how do you know you're making the world better? Why are you trying to make the world better for someone else? I mean, like it raises all kinds of questions. You could say you have a purpose to make the world better, but it's really just kind of like, it's whatever cause that you feel makes the world better. I mean, like, you're going to make the world better based off what you believe is morality, and so you want everyone to go with that particular view. But what if someone doesn't go with your particular You see how this all begins to fall apart, right? Say, so there is no God, so I'm going to make the world better. Well, how am I going to make the world better? I'm going to make the world better by whatever your position is. But you're like, but these people over here don't think that's making the world better. Well, they don't know better. Well, but they may know. Well, okay, well, then who? And it just kind of falls apart. What would be another possible purpose in life? If you exclude God, now many atheists embrace this, and I do respect them for this. There isn't a purpose in life. Stop looking for one. I I have mad respect for that. That's cool. Because they're not pretending anything. They're just like, there's no purpose. You just live your life. You do whatever. All right. Hey. It's not even about just death. It's about just living every Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. There's just, just no purpose. So, I mean, so that, that feels bleak to some, but for some, they think it's freeing. You know, I, it depends on how you view it. All right. If we include God, what, what happens to the subject of purpose? When we include God, the purpose of life is God. God becomes the purpose. But, 
Now, again, a lot of people include God, but how do we typically live Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and even Sunday? We exclude God because we live for what purpose? Our own. <laughs> you see how we can, you see, that's why, you see why I didn't put theism and atheism? Right? Because if we put, because people are like, oh, see, that's what those atheists do. I'm telling you, there's plenty of people who believe in God. They include God, but they live their life excluding God when it comes to the purpose of their life because they're living for themselves. Their purpose is their happiness, their purpose, whatever they want it to be. All right? And a lot of people have a major, a lot of the younger generation has a major issue but with being told that the purpose of life is not their individual happiness. They'll be like, wait, wait, what about my happiness? What about my happiness? And it's like, uh, maybe, maybe nobody cares about your happiness, okay? If, if there is no God, the universe doesn't care about your happiness. And if there is a God, there's a, good, there's a very high probability he doesn't care about your happiness. So the only one who cares about your happiness is you, but young people get very upset when nobody else seems to care about their happiness. Because if you say anything that goes against what they want to do, then you're like, you don't care about my happiness. But you're like, I don't know why anyone has to care about you. Look, if there's no God, nobody should care about your happiness. I should only care about my happiness. And maybe your happiness doesn't make me happy. And if your happiness doesn't make me happy, I need to remove your happiness in order for me to be more happy. It it becomes very difficult when you exclude God to have many of these conversations because it just becomes a free-for-all. Again, if you don't believe me, just just go... to any university and sign up for a philosophy class and listen to the discussions in class. It's a free-for-all. And you're like, what? And there's no, nobody has an answer to anything because most of it's looked at it from excluding God. And if you exclude God, these things fall apart. But if you include God, there's a purpose. Okay, anything else about the exclude God side that we can think of? <clears throat> anything else that you think is a, is a, would, would be a result of excluding God about life? Anything else? We've covered morality. We've covered purpose. We covered sovereignty. Well, well, let's let's state it this way. I think I know where you're going. Providence, providence will fit with sovereignty. It's going to be something we're going to talk about. Let's deal deal with this. Exclude God. Right. Write down the word evil. You can put it this way. Does evil exist? In the exclude God side. Just write down, does evil exist? If you exclude God, can you say evil exists? Now, if you say yes, who defines what is evil? goes back to the morality. But I separate it because so many people will say, well, that's just horrible. That's just wrong. They'll hear a news story about some serial killer and like, that's just horrible. That's just wrong. And you want to ask them, why is it wrong? Well, because you shouldn't take human life. According to whom? Well, according to me. Well, maybe they don't agree with you. So are they wrong? Well, they're wrong. Well, what makes them wrong? What makes you the, what makes you the one who can determine morality? Right? So you definitely have an issue of evil. If we, if we have God involved, now we can define evil, but let me make it very clear. 
in the, okay, let me make it very clear. If we exclude God, the even defining evil becomes difficult. Yes? If we include God, how do we define evil? Anything that is not in conformity to his holiness. Right? So that, that makes sense. And so therefore, evil can involve a lot of things. Lying to someone would be then therefore evil or sinful. Yes? Not just a serial killer. But where becomes a major problem when you include God and then you talk about evil? Why does it exist? Right? Why does it exist? Remember, when you include God, you say that he's sovereign. If he's sovereign, why would a sovereign God create a place where evil exists? Or could even possibly exist? Would, does that not become a problem? Okay, it becomes a serious problem. I know pastors say, everyone talks about the problem of evil, but there's no problem. Oh, man, when you hear a pastor say there's no problem, just, just get up, walk away, leave. It, because that, that's, just, that's just a lie. It's just a lie. I still struggle with them. <laughs> yeah, I started struggling with these questions almost from the minute go. I've always struggled with these issues. Now, at times I thought I had a good answer and felt like, okay, be dogmatic about that. And then I'm like, well, I don't know if that works. I'm always struggling with them and trying to figure them out. All right? So what would be, now let's, so we could talk a lot more about the problem of evil. Now let's go back to the exclude God side. One other issue. I mean, there's, they're put it this way. There's thousands of issues on both sides, but we'll just add one more. I'm just, I don't, I, I'm going to just put it in this category. Suffering. Suffering. Now, if we exclude God, why does suffering occur? You could blame it on the actions of other people, but you you do have to kind of believe at times. It just seems to be very random, right? Random. For example, some people are born in a horrible situation, right? There's poverty, famine, disease, and they just suffer their whole life. And some people are born, they don't, they don't even know. I mean, the, the, the biggest suffering for them is, oh, someone ate the Cheerios this morning. What am I going to do? I'm going to have to have new Cheerios delivered. <laughs> I got to wait for Walmart to come to my door and drop off a box. <laughs> and trust me, we act like it's the end of the world. At least I do. I'm like, Stacy, what am I supposed to do? I'm, I'm starving. It's one o'clock in the afternoon. I haven't eaten. What was going on? Okay. And then she's like, I don't know what your problem is. Okay. I'm suffering here. Okay. Do you not care? And she doesn't. Okay. But you, you get, yeah, everybody get the idea. That's, I mean, that's, you could be born in a horrible, and the question is, why? If we exclude God, what's the answer? Someone said it earlier, starts with a C. Chance. Just random chance. Why was I born in an abusive home? And, so, and most of the young people here, as far as I know, they may tell me that it was abusive. But I, I think most of the dancing children, I don't think they have any horror, horror stories of abuse. Uh, not. Why? Because I think I'm better than them. 
So why was I put in a horrible situation? They like they deserved to be in the situation I was in. I mean, what, why? Why that to me seems unfair. Why did they get, you know, Mister Rogers' neighborhood, and I got, I got Satan. I mean, I mean, like what? What? Like what? I don't understand. You know what? What happened here? Why did I get put in that situation? Because anybody got an answer? If you exclude God, there is no answer. Just random chance. Well, that's wonderful. And there's no purpose in it. Right? That, that's, that's even really messed up. If we go with the, the belief of reincarnation, I, ne- I never forget looking into the view of reincarnation, how upset I got, because reincarnation told me the reason I was born in an abusive home is because in my previous life, I was an abuser. And I, that really made me very emotional. And I'm like, okay, I don't believe... now. Now, just to be fair, just because you don't like it doesn't mean something is not true, but it just that's a pretty hard... Just make sure. Sometimes people are like, well, Christianity is so mean and horrible. There's a lot of religious views out there that are just as horrible as anything Christianity could ever offer up, but for some reason it doesn't get condemned. Like, if someone believes in reincarnation, they're like, oh, how cute. I'm like, is it cute? Because reincarnation typically goes with the idea the reason you're suffering is because you caused suffering in your previous incarnation. But nobody ever wants to talk about how messed up that is. That's pretty messed up. You know, you're a wife who's getting beat and beat and beat and beat. Well, you, you, you beat someone in your previous life. You were probably an abusive husband in your previous life. So just get over it. I mean, like, but, that, but we like to turn reincarnation and go, oh, in my previous life, I was, I was king so-and-so. You know, like, and it's just ridiculous. So, so chance, all right? Now, that sounds horrible, right? Chance is not a great... No, does anybody like the idea of just random chance? No, but let me tell you, it's not easy when I go over there and include God, right? So now I include God, and guess what? Okay? Now guess... Well, I have to add a very unpleasant situation here. They were born and raised in a home that, you know, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood... And I was born and raised in, you know, you know, next door to, to hell. And, and guess why? God. Now, you're great. You're like, praise God. I was raised in Mr. Andrew's neighborhood. Isn't it amazing? Awesome. I mean, God was so good to me and I've been blessed and all that stuff that Christians will say on social media. It's so wonderful. God, God is good. All the time, all that just uh, stuff drives me crazy, right? And then you got other people going, uh, whoa, wait, what? Okay, and so because I have to look at, what? wait a minute, God somehow wanted me in that situation. You know how hard that is to say? And let me make it very clear. There are people raised in far worse situations than I could ever even imagine. I mean, my situation was bad. There's some people who experience things I can't even comprehend, I mean, you've seen those news stories of like a one-year-old, a two-year-old, beaten, burned, like brutalized, and they're in the ICU barely clinging to their life because they were thrown against a wall or beaten with a, an electric cord or burned with a curling iron. I mean, crazy. And th- you read those stories, and in and, and your nice little Christian world, you're just like, well, you know, Satan is really bad. You, we, what did you just do? Excluded God from it. But if I include God, it becomes, there's some questions there, right? Because what would be the questions? Could God have put me in a different family? Could God have intervened to stop some of the abuse that occurred? Even if he didn't want to stop all of it, he could have stopped some of it. Did he? No. How come 
All of them are sitting here and they have two parents back there. And before I even got out of high school, my mom was dead. Random chance or God? Both of them are very unpleasant thoughts, yes? So, and then we could add on. So let's go through all the things we've added. I know we, we didn't get very far with this, but this is so very important, okay? So on the exclude God side, what have we established? If we exclude God, we have, we have trouble with trying to at least establish a basis for morality, right? Next, sovereignty. Man becomes sovereign or government becomes sovereign or both become sovereign and you have two sovereigns trying to fight over who's going to ultimately rule or reign, okay? Which is the issue of all of history, right? The, 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 the issues of history are in issues of the question of sovereignty, Who's going to get their way? Who's going to get their will? Sometimes it's a fight between this government and that government, both governments claiming to be sovereign and both wanting whatever they want, or over individuals fighting governments, right? That you, that's a good way of looking at history. All right, next. Purpose. If there is no God, you establish the purpose, but there's no real transcendent purpose, or there's just no purpose. Next. Evil. Does evil, evil exist? And if it is, does, who gets to define it? And if it does... And like, what, what does that even mean? Okay, and the next, suffering. What, it, just life is c- controlled by random chance. If we include God, what do we get? May we have a basis for morality. Whew, that's good. The only problem is it condemns me, therefore making me a, a 24-hour, seven-day-a-week hypocrite because I'm never going to live according to the very morality that I see is the basis of life. And a lot of young people have a hard time with that. Like, well, there's your morality, then keep it. And you want to say, I can't. They're like, well, that's a stupid system of morality. And you're like, well, your system of morality, you just made up. So, that, so we have a question there. Okay, what's next? Sovereignty, right? God is sovereign, which is great. Problem is, if God is sovereign... What does that mean when I start bringing all of these questions up about, well, where is, why would a sovereign God create a world where, why would he create someone like Satan? I mean, that raises questions. All right, next. Purpose. I've got a purpose. The only problem is we say we have a purpose and then we usually exclude God from how we live Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, demonstrating that we don't really always include God in that supposed purpose. Next. Okay, why does evil exist? it's just, I want to make sure you understand, it's just as difficult over here, right? Because I'm like, okay, well, I can, at least within Christianity, I can call something evil. Yes. I can define evil. I even can define, I can even ultimately declare a source for it. The problem is, why did God allow it? All right, next. Suffering, all right? And with God, at least I can... What's the best thing? What is the best thing God provides in the midst of suffering? Possibly a purpose, right? Yes. Now that doesn't always make everyone feel better, but at least I can. I don't believe that what's happening is happening because of random chance. Now I may not like it, but at least I have something there to go. Something is guiding it. Does that make sense? All right. So those are the two sides. Include God, exclude God. Include God, exclude God. Right? Now you, and again, everybody understands why I did not put theism or atheism. Right? The reason why is we all tend to fluctuate between, sometimes we are over here looking at a situation and we've excluded God. Sometimes we're over here and we're looking at a situation and we include God. 
And, and, and sometimes those who exclude God from life will, will talk as if they're including God. Like when you have a young person who's basically rejected Christianity, but like, that's wrong, that's wrong, that's wrong, that's wrong, that's wrong. You're a hypocrite. They're wrong. And you're like, whoa, you sure are judgmental. What's the basis for all of this? They're, they're trying to borrow almost from the God part. And basically, they're trying to make themselves God. It's, it's, it's just really bizarre how it works. Those are the two issues. Now, wh- wh- how does that have anything to do with reprobation? Because reprobation, we have people being saved or not saved, and we have to decide, are we going to include God in this or what? Exclude God from this. And this is where this fits in, but it brings in lots of questions and issues. All right? So are you ready? All right? We're, oh, man, we're not going to get very far, but that's okay. Any questions about any of that? All right? Now, I want to make it very clear. It's very important that there are not easy answers. Right? If, like, it's easy to point to the world and go, where's your answer? Where's your answer? Make it very clear. They can look at you and go, where's your answer? Where's your answer? These are both problematic. So think about it this way. Life itself is philosophically problematic. Life itself is just philosophically problematic. I don't care what you do. I don't care what, you, I don't care what answers you try to bring into this. They're problematic. Don't ever feel, and this is the most important thing, especially if you're in a university setting or even if you're just talking to people. Atheists and agnostics can be very, like, jerks. It's not so much present today because the younger generation who may be atheistic, they don't really care to, to, they don't care about anything. So it's a completely different framework. But if you go back to where you had kind of the very hostile atheist, and I always got irritated because they want to put the problem on you. Well, why is there evil? What about this? What about that? And it always bothers me because I want to turn around and go, hey, do you realize you don't have any answers either? So always remember when anyone calls Christianity into question about all of these things, they're, they're just left with as many problems, if not more problems, right? For example, in Christianity, I can understand why people do evil things, Right? Because of a sinful nature. In the non-Christian worldview, they almost argue that people are born basically good or at least morally neutral. Well, then why can a world that is basically good or morally neutral do so much wrong on a regular and consistent basis? And then they try to blame education, parents. They try to blame everything. And I don't, you can fix all of those problems and you still have what in the world? Evil, so why? And I think Christianity at least provides a, a, a valuable answer there. All right, But when you get into all of these issues, lots of questions come up. All right, So let's do this. If you have uh, the Westminster Confession of Faith in the back of the Trinity, you can grab that if you want. All right? Okay, I'll, I'll give you the chapter here in a second. Uh, I want you to write, you can write down two words here. We're going to write down a lot of words, but two more I want you to write down. Write down the word of providence and the word decrees. 
providence and decrees. Providence and decrees. Now, the reason I want you to put these two words down is as you've got that kind of, you've made a kind of a, a chart of including God or excluding God. If we include God, all kinds of questions come into play, right? Well, if I include God, then what about this? And what about that? And how does this work? And how does that work? Even with reprobation, if I include God, then why are some people saved, not people? You come up with all kinds of questions. Well, when you have all these kinds of questions, you have to try to find your answer with, theolo- with theological terms. And two very key terms to try to bring answers to these are providence and decrees. We have to make sure we have a good understanding of these two terms. All right? Now, the chapter for providence in the Westminster, I think it's chapter 5. I think it's chapter 5, right? Is that correct? All right. I'm going to be reading from the London Baptist. If there's a massive difference, please let me know, because a lot of times when we do this, some people say, well, that one was completely different. I'm like, well, I didn't have it in front of me, all right? Here we go, right? And tell me where you see the immediate problem, all right? Chapter 5, London Baptist Confession of Faith of Divine Providence. Here we go. Paragraph 1. Thinking caps on? All right, here we go. God, the good creator of all things. Stop right there. This immediately, this immediately states that what? When we, we start thinking about God's providence, or remember the include God side? When we include God, we are saying that he is the, he is God, he is the good creator of all things. Now, the minute you say he's the creator of all things, you see where the problems are getting ready to start, yes? If God is the creator of all things, well, then why, how did evil end up in his creation? And they go on to say, they refer to him as what kind of a creator? Good. Or great. Does the, uh, the, they call it great. The London Baptists say good. Great is, is you could, could refer to power. Good seems to refer to a moral judgment. Does that make sense? So great, but if you say great as re- reference to power, you see where the problem becomes? Well, if he's the all-powerful creator, then he would have the power to exclude or prohibit certain things from entering into his creation. So if those things arise in his creation, then you would have to argue that the great, powerful creator so desired or wanted those things in his creation. And if you say he didn't want it, then these things that entered into his creation are greater than God's will, which then creates a problem about what? God being God. Right? All right. So, God is the good creator or great creator. What else does it say? And his infinite power and wisdom, stop right there. What does it mean, his infinite wisdom? He knows everything, right? So now you've got a, a God who is creator who has complete wisdom and knowledge. And that means he knows what's going to happen and what he creates. Now, I would ask you, if you knew you were going to create a world that looks like it does in 2021, would you continue? So if he did, knowing where we're going to end up with, then you have to somehow say either God lost control or God knew, so therefore this all has to fit into God's 
will, which then creates what? A million problems, yes? All right. So his infinite wisdom, what else does it say? Power. In other words, there's no limit to his wisdom. There's no limit to his power. This creates lots of problems, right? Infinite wisdom, power. What does he do? Now look at the next thing. Doth uphold, direct, dispose, and govern all creatures and things from the greatest to the least. Oh, that's a lot going on there. All right. Not only does he create with full power and full wisdom, what does he do with his creation? Go through all the things he supposedly does with his creation. He upholds it, okay? That means it exists. It's still functioning because he's upholding it. Right? Now, that's including God. And, and the excluding God is, well, just laws of nature uphold it, but nobody knows where the laws of nature, they just, like, it's really weird. Where, how does an immaterial law arise from material? Like, that blows my mind when you get into this discussion uh, when they, we talk about, well, the laws of gravity or the, law, or the, the laws of thermodynamics, all of these immaterial laws. How can there be immaterial laws governing how the universe operates? Because you have to have a source for those laws, right? So where did the laws, like, why is there a law saying that if I jump up, I'm going to fall down? Right? So either... It, it, like, it's really weird to call them laws because you have... Yeah, so yeah, what you have to say is it's an observation and not call it a law because the minute you say it's a law, to me that makes no sense because how could a material explosion give rise to immaterial laws that governs the function of the universe? That makes no sense. Law doesn't arise from an explosion. So what you'd have to say is that we've observed the way the universe works, I couldn't call them, I would call them observations and not call them laws. That's a philosophical argument. Like, I, like if I'm in a science class, I'm like, uh, I don't think we should call that a law. And they're like, why? Well, can a law arise from an explosion? And the answer would be no, because typically a law would have to be assigned by what? A lawgiver. And who's the lawgiver? Yeah, for them, it would be either you assigning the law, which you can't, right? Okay, well, no, he would be the observer of said law, right? But if there's laws, and if, you, and if there's no laws governing everything, can you imagine, do, do you realize all the laws that have to work for art to exist? Right? The sun has to be a certain distance from us because too far, we freeze, too close, we burn up. Everything has, the, the, the fact that we're just not floating off the planet, Right? I mean, just so many things for everything to work perfectly, just for life to work. I mean, it's just, we have to have the right uh, oxygen level and all the, everything. I mean, it's just amazing how everything has to be so perfectly in tune. And if one little thing goes wrong, the end of all civilization. But they, so they'll call them laws, but then the minute you call it a law, you're arguing for a lawgiver in order to do so. If you include God, we have a lawgiver. And what does he do? He upholds it, directs it, disposes, and governs. That, on one hand, 
That's great. Well, I, I can make sense of everything. That's why everything works. That's why everything functions. That's how come there's an ox- oxygen to breathe. That's how come there's a sun. That's how come there's seasons. That's how, how come there's a food cycle. That's how come uh, we. Have, that's how come there's water for us to drink. Like everything works perfectly, right? Okay. I mean, if you think about it, when you think about water, we we really all we really do is it's the same level of water that's just recycled, right? Because the water that's here then is evaporate, evaporated that comes right back down. So it's really weird that we really never, we were drinking the same water that people were drinking 6,000 years ago. Isn't that kind of weird? Like, how does that work? Like, every time I, I, if I have a bottle of water and I pour it out, I'm always like, maybe instead of pouring it, I need to go pour it outside so that we're going to evaporate. I'm always like, how, we're going to, you know, like, I'm always thinking like, there's got to, why don't we run out? Isn't it just so weird? Like, it's just, just by, by happenstance, right, just by chance that we, we were given a certain level of water and that certain level of water has sustained all of humankind because we don't get more. We, okay, we, we just get to say, isn't that, isn't that just bizarre to you? Like uh, when I think about, like just thinking about water blows my mind. I'm like, okay, so we have a certain level of water and we keep using the same water over and 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 over. <laughs> and I was like, it just goes, and then it comes back, and it goes, and it comes back, and it goes, and it comes back, and it's like, it's kind of just a bizarre concept, yes? Right? So either that just happens by no one's governing it, no one's controlling it, it just works, right? No one has to turn on the switch, no one turns it off, it just works, right? And it, over here, we, it controls. But once you start adding all of those control, that God's doing all of those things, what becomes now the philosophical problem? If God's controlling it, upholding it, governing it, disposing it, then why is things so messed up? Right now in Afghanistan, we have an absolute humanitarian crisis unfolding. I mean, absolutely. We got, I've watched the videos of these babies just literally starving to death. There's no food. I mean, it's, I mean we could go through all the Americans creating such a problem there. But, but there's parts of the world where people are literally just dying and starving. No food, no water, no nothing. Why? Now, from a, exclude God, what's the answer? Random chance. Include God, you're like, oh, it's going to make me feel... No, oh, it doesn't make me feel better. Does it? Now we're going to have to stop there. Now, you see what I'm trying to do, though? Once we include God, what's... So let me end with this. When you include God, because we're not going to spend a lot of time in the excluding God. I may refer back to it. You got the basic idea. When you include God, what questions should a normally, like any normal person sitting in church, when they hear God is creator, God's in charge, and they all say amen, what should be the questions? If God is in charge, then how does it work? For some reason, Christians don't care how it works. I don't know why they don't care. Well, wait a minute. If God's in charge, well, what about this? What about that? If God's in charge, then how, this. Well, if God's doing this, well, wait, why are some people saved? Wait, why do some babies die? Wait, why do some people live to be 120? Wait, why do some people suffer? Like, why, 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 why? So then the, theologians have to come along and go, okay, we got to figure out the why. 
providence. All right, we're going to establish that God operates through this concept of providence, and then we're going to establish what those rules of providence are, and then we're going to try to answer some of the questions. Let me make it very clear. Theology tries to provide the answers. They're not philosophically satisfying. But theologians try. I'm blown away by people who grow up in the church and never go, why? It just just drives me crazy. It's like, you hear it all the time. Tornado comes through, right? And, and like, all these people are killed. And then they'll interview one family, like, well, just praise God. He protected my family. And I want to I just look at the person going, praise God. The person next to you, his two-year-old died. Praise God. Because if God spared you, he didn't spare the person who lived next to you. Do you know, you see how messed up that sounds? Now, I know that they don't mean it that way, but it, to me, it just, it just makes me want to just throw the television out. Well, I'm not going to hurt my television, but it makes me want to break something. Stacy's television, because it's garbage, okay? Right, so I, I got no problem breaking that, but it bothers me, because it's like, praise God, he spared my family, but how about the family, how about the people who died in the factory? I would just say, I would not say a word. I would just be like, I'm grateful my family is alive. And, the re- and people say, well, that's messed up. No, it's not messed up because I know when I say praise God, the person who's, who's sitting in the funeral home looking at their dead baby may not understand why God didn't spare their baby but spared my family because if they know me, they're like, he is a piece of human garbage. Why would God do anything for him? I mean, unless, unless you think that you would deserve it, I wouldn't think that I would deserve my family to be spared. I mean, the, the Danzlers, look, you've got your family here, right? Do you understand that there are other parents who, they don't, they're, they're missing a daughter or a son? Why? Now, you can be grateful to God. I'm not saying don't be grateful to God. I'm just saying when we say that, we have to at least understand why others didn't get that. So why not? What's the answer? Well, if you exclude God, chance just happens. If you include God, now do you see how uncomfortable it becomes? Now, so the way I approach it is, yes, I may praise God for what good he brings to me, but I have to also understand that God is in charge of whatever happens. I just know that how I present that to the world, I got to be careful because it just comes across messed up. It just comes across messed up. Maybe I'm very sensitive to how it's perceived by people who suffer. Right? Maybe some Christians just see it, well, oh, praise God. But I'm, I'm always concerned. Maybe I'm, may, some people may say that it, it's a flaw in me, but I, I always hear it not from the, I don't hear it from the words of the person who everything went great for, I hear it in the ears of the person who it didn't go great for. So then I'm always like, well then, how do they understand what you just said? Because what you just told them is your good God killed their baby so that your family was spared the tornado. Wonderful. Thank you. I'm going to come to your church next Sunday. When I hear that, I, that's, I hear it in their ears. Does that make sense? 
I know that's going to make some, some Christians uncomfortable, and I'm already probably people are emailing me with come to run to the defense. But whatever defense you run to, and that's why I love Job. Because Job acknowledged God can do good or God could bring bad, but God is to be praised in both. So for me, the greatest testimony is when I'm standing there, my house is completely destroyed, and my kid is laying under the rubble. Praise God, blessed be his name. And the world will be like, you're messed up. Well, if I can accept good from God. That's, remember, that was so Job's whole argument. What I love about Job never blames anyone else for the suffering. He, he, he accepts it that it's from God. That's just amazing to me. Like Job was far more advanced than the average Christian in 2021. Because the average Christian was like, no, that can't be God. It can't. God would never. Don't ever say God would never because you're probably wrong. Does that make sense? All right. We'll have to stop there. You see, but I, I want you to understand why we're doing this. Right? Reprobation raises the question. And we're, we're going to take it apart and we'll see how far we get. In the next, in the next hour, we'll go even further. Right, let's stop. Lord God, we come before you this morning. These are not easy subjects. These are painful subjects. These are, these are at times, even when Calvin and others talked about this, they referred to this as being, you know, horrifying, fear, just fear-inducing kind of concepts that make us very uncomfortable and nobody wants to talk about. But if we don't talk about them, then we're just ignoring the reality in which we live. We have to find answers, and I pray that you'll give us the desire to continue to search and deal with these very important theological concepts. And we ask this in Jesus' name. And God's people said...